Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sophia, your content and podcast editor, and I can't wait for you guys to listen to this week's pod. Our very special guest this week is Yesha Patel, the founder of After, a company focusing on the ethical disposal of unwanted clothing. Get ready for episode nine. Did you know 500,000 tons of clothing ends up in landfill worldwide. Fast fashion is becoming a huge problem overall in the world, and it's one of the largest emitters. Well, you've come to the right place to learn more about fast fashion. On this week's episode of the Greenfluence podcast, we have Yesha Patel from After. Um, Very awesome to have you on board, Yesha. Can you please give us a quick introduction about you and all the awesome stuff you're doing? Sure. Thank you so much for having me here, Viz. Um, It's nice to be here on a podcast that's just related to everything green. Um, So yeah, my name is Isha. Um, I'm the founder of After and we collect unwearable clothing and textile waste from households and businesses. And we send it off to be recycled where it's completely broken down and it's recycled into new material. And that new material is hopefully to make new uh, clothing out of recycled yarn. So we're really trying to make textile recycling more accessible for the everyday consumer and even businesses that tend to produce a lot of textile waste but aren't too sure on what to do with that. Yeah, awesome. And it's sort of that education piece that you have to provide people as well, right? It's like people are are producing all these clothes, but they're not sure how to reuse them. And I think like as consumers, our first sense with clothes is that I'm not going to use them. Um, I'm going to end up in landfill. Um, so, like, how how did this whole problem of clothing and textiles really, like, resonate with you? Was this something of a personal experience? or? Yeah, definitely. So, pre-after life for Yisha was that I used to shop a lot and I had no idea about the impacts of fashion and clothing on the environment. And when it would come to the time of clearing out my wardrobe, I found it difficult to find options out there to dispose of my clothing when I knew where it was going once I disposed of it. So I found a real lack of transparency and also just convenience. It just felt so hard to do such a simple thing. And so I, I looked more into this problem and that's where I became really aware and it was really mind blowing on the impacts and the harmful effects that, you know, our clothing has on the environment, how much is actually thrown away to landfills you know, we throw it into these clothing bins and we think it's going to developing countries as secondhand clothing, but more than half of that clothing is not even fit for wear. So it shouldn't even be going to some another country. And as well as I found, you know, from charity stores and op shops, they're also receiving a lot of unusable uh, clothing donations. And it just it just felt very like hard to do and something that wasn't accessible for the everyday consumer like myself. So that's basically when I decided to start after I pledged to not buy any new um, pieces of clothing, which I haven't done so far. And it's been an amazing journey since. Yeah, no, that's that's really inspiring and amazing. Um, I want to go back a little bit as to how your entrepreneurship journey actually started. Um, and I understand um, you went to high school in New Zealand. Yeah. Did your bachelor's there. And then you came to Melbourne and you did a master in entrepreneurship. Um, 
how like how did that come about um and and were you exposed to entrepreneurship at a young age or was it something that you just saw an opportunity for yourself to get involved in yeah so i was born and brought up in new zealand and my dad actually um started a lot of businesses and was involved in a lot of businesses so without realizing it entrepreneurship was very involved um around me in my environment um but i guess i got that taste of it when i was in school and we would have things like prep where we um get to come up with these products and sell it to the rest of the school and have these little market days and very simple very small you know ways to do business but it felt like you know i really i really connected with it and that's kind of where i got that spark from so i looked more into it i eventually realized once i was you know much later in high school that I would find it difficult to actually do like work for someone else. Like I really just wanted to be my own boss. I really just wanted to make an impact, a direct mm. impact through my work. And I felt that if I work in a big organization, that's harder to do. Um, and so I did my uh, bachelor's in Auckland where I um, studied entrepreneurship. And then I felt I just needed more to realize what my passion was at the time. I was still figuring out, you know, what am I interested in? What would I want to start a business in? And so mm -hmm. while I was deciding that, I thought, let me try get all the tools and the whole toolkit to, you know, start a business that develop that entrepreneurial mindset, build my networks. And I found the Masters of Entrepreneurship program at the Wade Institute. And that was probably the best decision I made because that's where I started after I learned amazing you know techniques frameworks and we got to actually go out there you know build businesses uh fail learn fast get back up and that's how it is and it was a very safe environment to do that yeah no that's actually super interesting because i think you i think you mentioned a couple interesting points and i think the first point is like that idea of corporate versus startups i think like we're seeing a huge shift especially in the past like like probably say around 10 years, especially in Australia with that part of the space booming. Um, I think last year was like a crazy record year for VC funding in Australia. You've got the effect of Canvas, things like that. A lot of people are like sort of diverting away from that corporate group or like starting side hustles. Um, what's your take on that? I think it's great. I think, I mean, I'm not encouraging people to leave their corporate jobs. Like, you know, I still work in a corporate job, right? But I think you've got to follow where your passion is and that's the only time you're going to be able to enjoy work right like I don't call after work anymore it's not work for me it's doing what I love it's you know of course there's hard days but I, I would really encourage to find what that is and you know try different things as well like it took me so long to realize what area I'm interested in but I didn't stop learning in that and I haven't stopped learning ever since and I think you're not going to know till you try and dip your feet in and get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, no, that's very good advice. And um, I think like another another point I wanted to add was like the idea of entrepreneurship. And um, I think it's really interesting that you were essentially sort of taught entrepreneurship when a lot of the time entrepreneurship has that mentality of like, you got to get your hands dirty and do it yourself. Um, what do you think about that approach? And how, and I know you touched on this before, but how did that help you start after? I think... Yeah, so, I mean, there's all, all often that debate of, uh, you know, nature versus nurture on entrepreneurship. And I think it's a bit of both. Like, I, I learned a lot of 
skills in you know my educational programs from my bachelor's to my master's of you know the basics of running a business of you know that product market fit that customer validation and and I know you can learn that later on but that's what really got that strong fitting at the start of after where I was you know, learning so much about my customer. I was going out, I was talking to them, I was asking questions and yeah. and even on how to ask questions to your customers without leading them, you know, to the answer that you want. These are things that I really learned only from these courses. And it's not to say you need to go and do a master's program. And I think entrepreneurial mindsets and, you know, that that characteristics are also built in. And I think, you know, I started this journey also knowing how hard it is running a business and that I am not going to be earning so much in the early days and, you know, making my way up in the career that's going to, you know, set me up for life initially. But again, it comes down to that passion and being, you know, very interested in that idea and yeah, just going for it. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's like that high risk, high reward thing. Definitely. And you, you obviously are going to, sacrifice time and possibly sacrifice income but I think like if you see something as a goal you want to achieve then you know I guess like that's where you have to devote your time on and whether that means working harder um you know it's something you have to do um and 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 yeah I think I was also very interested in what you were saying about the framework that you were taught and I and I, I did I did do a bit of research and I think you did a course about the circular economy 2030 agenda um so can you tell us more about like the upskilling and the frameworks you learned about which helped you essentially start after? Yeah, so that course, well, I was, you know, thinking to myself, look, I'm trying to start a business in the circular economy space. I should actually know, you know, the theory behind it, the frameworks, the principles, and that's where this course got, you know, I saw this course and it looked really interesting, um, provided by the UN, and I was like, this must be good. Um, Basically, we got to learn, you know, the principles of what a circular economy actually means, um, and it and it and it's all the different frameworks involved in it, and how you can incorporate circular economy in different areas of your, you know, end-to-end process, um, and different types of industries and businesses that it can be applied to. So we had a huge cohort of uh, people involved that were studying the course and. Um, from all different backgrounds. And I think that was the amazing thing that, you know, circular economy principles and ideologies can be implemented in so many different areas um, and businesses. And and it's doing the small building blocks of, you know, a circular economy to eventually make the whole thing, if that makes sense. So I think like, yeah, I'm not an expert on circular economy, um, but I have learned like a little bit about it. And essentially, from what I gather, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like how do you sort of extend um, the life cycle and the process of like a product in such a way that, you know, it has like multiple lives, so to speak. Um, I know like there are like so many cool initiatives, like even for cosmetics, Maya had the closed loop campaign. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like things like that. And, and obviously in, in your field, which is like fast fashion and textile waste. Um, and like, yeah, I was doing a bit of research and. I came across an article from the Climate Council. So they said the fashion industry emits 1.2 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalent a year. That's like crazy because you always think about sectors like cement, like oil, like gas, maybe even food, but fast Mm. fashion is not something that comes to mind. 
Um, and it's actually more than the shipping and aviation industries combined, which is crazy. Um, do you mind explaining to our audience the concept of fast fashion and conscious steps that we can take as consumers in order to reduce our footprint? Yeah, sure. So I guess when I think of fast fashion, obviously now I think of it as very negatively. Um, I think of mass production, uh, clothing, you know, that's just made for the masses. It's, it's you know, in bulk um, and more lower quality materials and fabrics. So, you know, you've got very cheap materials, um, often things like polyester um, as well. And I think the biggest part of it that I find is the uh, unethical labor that's often um, involved in fast fashion companies. Yeah. So unsafe working conditions, uh, very, very minimum pay. Um, and then that leads to them having their low cost production. So something normally when I go to a shop and if I see something that's ridiculously cheap, I know that someone along that line is not being paid enough um, for it to be that cheap. Yeah. And that's when you know that, that there's something gone wrong here, terribly wrong. Um, and I, I found that the best way to be sustainable for myself was to just use what I already have um, in my wardrobe, yeah. um, you know, going through my old clothes, mixing and matching new outfits and kind of making it exciting. Um, but also sharing with your friends and your family, um, you know, renting clothing as well. There are great websites and marketplaces out there where you can rent you know, if you've got an event coming up, um, you don't need to buy a dress every single time. You don't need to buy an outfit. Um, and and it is due to, you know, media and social media and always, you know, these think, feeling of having something new. And yeah. I understand that. But that's why, you, you know, if you rent something, it's still just as exciting. You know, I've got got a girls night coming up coming up this weekend I'm going to go and rent a dress and I'm so excited about it you know yeah. I don't need to go and buy I'm saving myself money um as well and and if you do buy new and it's okay to buy new you know look at what materials are used in the production um you know you you generally want more natural fibers it tends to last a lot longer um and also how you take care of your clothing um you don't need to wash we, we're often washing our clothes too much um more than we need to like you know of course once it's smelly yeah chuck it in the wash but if you wear it once you you don't need to wash it um if it's got a stain somewhere then just wash that area mm -hmm. and avoid fabric softeners that's advice yeah. that i've been given so fabric softeners are dangerous do not use them no very interesting um a lot of interesting points that even I could adopt because like a lot of these things like our bias is to like wash stuff often we just don't think about the effect it'll have but like i guess that builds up bit by bit mm -hmm. um, very interesting point you mentioned about that whole aspect of supply chain practices because that whole concept of modern slavery is like a huge social issue and now with like companies having these supply chains like it's so hard to track exactly what the issues are like who are the people you're underpaying how are you exploiting them um, is there a way to like look at that or is that something you've explored, like looking further into the supply chain? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, um, so if you go, like I mentioned before, you know, if something's really cheap, you know that something's not right in that. Yeah. Um, there are great websites out there that have a directory of brands and gives them a rating. So one I know is called Good On You. Yeah. And a lot of, um, they put on a lot of fashion brands on there, um, from clothing to shoes to active wear, and they kind of give a rating 
um, with their own criteria based on, you know, what their, that, that company's supply chain is. Do they have um, ethical labor, materials, animal testing, everything? And so um, that's when I look at new brands, that's kind of like what I go by um, as it kind of gone and done the work. But always, you know, you can always go check out that website if they've got a sustainability page, check the news, do a little bit of research because it's it's so worth it. I still think they can be more done in that space as well to make it yeah. easier for you know, the everyday consumer to be able to get this information firsthand and that transparency. But that's the issue with these, you know, big fast fashion brands. The the transparency is just is just really lacking. Like you see H and M um have, you know, drop off bins in their stores where you can drop off your clothing. And that's great. But, you know, where does it go after that and what's it recycled into and what are they using it for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and is that actually, you know, helping the environment? And, yeah, beware of greenwashing because, um, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a huge thing going on right now with a lot of yep. brands and it's hard to tell and that's why I think more can be done in the space. Like it mm-hmm. needs to be more easier for people to kind of differentiate between what's the actual real genuine brand and what's, you know, greenwashing. Yeah, I think it's all about that awareness and that transparency. And then, and I think just even looking at, I guess, even looking at the website of After, I can see that you guys have been trying to make that very clear in terms of who you partner with, what the process is and things like that. Um, also, yeah, obviously very keen to hear more about After and how the journey started. But before we begin, like, how did you come up with the name After? <laughs> um how did I come up with the name? I actually don't remember. I think it was just um, like I liked the slogan of we take care of your clothing after you. Right. Um, and I was thinking of doing a cool name in a different language, but then I'm like, you know what? It was just too complicated. And so I wanted something short, punchy to the yeah, point. Gets to the point. And yeah. I mean, and I somehow got a domain name with that one. So yeah, it worked out. No, that's really awesome. Um, yeah, I think definitely it's a name that people won't forget. So I think that's good. <laughs> um, um, and then, yeah, I, I, I guess like I just want to better understand like how things have been so far. And um, I guess have that process from like initially that ideation stage to where you are now um, and, and also a bit about your business model. I, I know you can probably spend a long time discussing that, but um, can you give it to our audience in a nutshell maybe? I'll try. I'll try my best. So um, in the early days, uh, as I mentioned before, it involved a lot of talking to customers, um, going out there. It was lockdown when I started. So I actually had to stick to the five kilometre travel radius here in Melbourne and do collections within five kilometres of me. So you were actually going to people's houses and getting the clothes. Yeah. So I, I, I should rewind again. So basically I just put a bunch of posts on these Facebook groups um, saying, hey, I'm doing this project for uni. Um, if you're interested, but your textile ways. And first I offered it for free. Um, I had four people who actually signed up, four strangers, um, signed up, got their clothing collected for free um, around me. And I was like, okay. And so then I started sending out surveys to a bunch of, um, of these Facebook groups. And I was like, okay, what's the willingness to pay? Would people actually pay? How much would they pay? Um, and then I started to get a lot of traction from there. And so then I did my next round of collections. I got even more. I even had some repeat customers. 
And then I was really building after based on what these customers were saying. I was building it as I was going. Um, for example, when I say unwearable clothing, the term unwearable came from customers. It was, you know, I asked them, what is it? What is it like to, because I would say end of life before, but more people resonated with unwearable. Mm-hmm. So things like that, I really, I just, I came up with it from the customer. It wasn't even myself. So always listen to them because that's where the answers lie. Um, So that was the early days. And then, yeah, it it was going really well. We were out of lockdown, um, kept doing collections. So then now to date, since we've just focused on households, we've diverted around 1.4 tonnes of textile waste from landfills that were otherwise yeah, going to just go straight to the bin. Um, we've done around 159 collections from households within Melbourne um, and customers are paying a fee per kg to have their clothing collected. Yeah. And in return, we partner up with uh, sustainable brands who provide an exclusive discount to our customers. So it's basically like a reward for doing good. Um, Got it. And we're, we've got some great brands on board. We've got, you know, like a vegan handbag, um company we've got a sustainable florist um sustainable clothing brand an independent fashion designer so we're really trying to um you know make it easier and also encourage that sustainable consumption and also supporting these small businesses and yeah that's also just to give an incentive as well to you know pay to have your clothing collected mm-hmm. um and so yeah Two couple months later, I realized, okay, B2C is doing really well. Customers are great. Now it's time to get to the, you know, the big guns and the B2B, yeah. uh, reach out to businesses. And that's kind of where we're at right now. We've yeah. um, kind of paused the B2C side. We're not doing any collections at the moment. We're doing starting from scratch, but with businesses. So, okay, what's the product market fit with businesses? What are they yeah. needing? What are they wanting? What are their pain points? Uh, Are they currently paying for their textile waste to go to landfills? How much are they paying? Can we undercut that? And yeah, just really learning like our business is interested in this. And we've had a lot of outreach from businesses that have been interested in using our service. Um, So there is interest definitely in that space, Um, but we're not going to just start doing collections. We really want to know like what's the best way to go about it. Yeah. Um. And you know, B two B is a whole different ball game than B two C. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. Um. And it went. So we've got four new team members now on um the team, which is great. And so yeah, it gives me um yeah, we're going to be doing a lot more work now because there's more of us. So yeah. yeah no, that's that's so exciting. Um. And that transition from B to C to B to C to B to B must be very interesting. Uh. As well, because I'm sure like businesses would probably you know have more scale and I guess like maybe more demand than consumers more volume um and yeah eventually it will be more demand you know and it's like uh we're gonna have to treat each business as a client and a case-by-case kind of you know situation like all right how much textile waste do you have what kind of textile waste is it um, yeah. it's not it's not going to be as simple as b2c where it's just like do a day of collections from house to house keep the boxes outside you know like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but it, it, it's going to be it's the space you know we're doing b2b because that's where the, the impact is you know there's more volume more textile waste that we'll be able to divert and also it's something that you know 
businesses don't often think about with it, how much textile waste they're even producing as well. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. It's very, like, underrated, I feel, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, quick question. So I think you mentioned 1.4 tonnes of waste that you've diverted. Yeah. Um, how do you go about calculating that? Um, so when a customer books a collection, they yep. choose how many kgs they want to dispose of. Right. And they give that to us basically and so we've just added up all the different so each customer that we have how much how many kgs did they select in the checkout process yeah and yeah that gave us the number okay no that's very interesting because i'm always interested in how like impact is measured but it seems that yeah that, that definitely makes a lot of sense yeah and then so then i guess after you get these goods from the customer um whereabouts are you recycling them like, like what happens to that next stage? Yeah. So basically textile recycling in itself, it's quite a complicated process um, because, you know, a lot of our clothing these days, it's very mixed um, in materials. So it's always got blended fibers and, you know, it's not 100% um, of a certain material. So it involves a lot of, you know, separating out those materials Um and shredding it. So right now we are working with a partner in India called Material Library of India. Yeah. And they basically specialize in just, you know, repurposing waste in general. Um, So more than just textile waste, but for us, they're focusing on textile waste. Yeah. And um, what we've done is we've already sent over 450 kgs to them um, to process. And we've kind of been in this R&D phase with them where, they're trying to work with the right people over there um, to kind of take on this project because finding the right people that are also transparent enough and are actually doing the right thing, especially in a country in Asia, is quite difficult. Yeah. Um, so they're basically our boots on the ground over there and ensuring that whoever we do end up, you know, whoever's going to actually process this in, at scale yeah. um, is, you know, doing the right thing and is transparent with their processes um with textile recycling there is probably only one facility here in australia that's actually doing it um but that's not being recycled into new yarn um it's more uh recycled down to like plastic pellets and things like that so yeah um we're really trying to create a circular economy by turning it back into yarn so it can be used to produce more clothing but using recycled material instead of virgin material. Yeah, I think there's like a whole new thing to get involved in that yarn, virgin material stuff. Unfortunately, we don't have time on this pod, but um, definitely something that, yeah, very interesting to learn more about the intricacies of that. Yeah, um, I'm still I'm still learning myself. Like it's a very interesting recycling process. And even globally, it's it's not yeah. as extensive as other types of recycling. And that's why we have to do this, you know, R&D phase with our partners over there. I went to India because they're so advanced in the textile space. A lot of yarn is produced there. Um, they do, a, you know, a lot of hand looming and power looming. And, you know, they really know their stuff when it comes to textiles. And so... Yeah. Eventually, you know, our goal is to bring everything here on shore, um, but we can only learn from other countries and bring it over here. I guess in the process of starting after, um, I know that there are heaps of programs out there, accelerators for startups, help them on the journey. And one thing I came across was the Blackbird Giants founder. Is that, is that correct? Founders program, yeah. Sorry, the Blackbird Founders program. 
yeah, I wanted to hear a bit about that and like, I guess the benefits of an accelerator in accelerating startups and helping them on their journey. Yeah, so the, that one was a Blackbirds Giants program, um, and basically they just have around like two hundred founders, um, and you just do you can meet a lot of their mentors, um, yeah. and you go through some goal setting. They have a couple of workshops here and there, and it just also becomes this whole community of founders. Yeah, um, and that's always nice to be in a whole community because there's a Slack channel. You're always you know communicating. Um, and learning from each other but that was that was very helpful for us we got access as I said to mentors that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise mm. um, great mentors um, through Blackbird that we're still in touch with that you know gave us a lot of great advice great networks and connections yeah. as well um, and so yeah that was that was great and now we're currently in an accelerator program called Atto which is focused on um, female founders and yeah, that's a smaller, much, much smaller cohort. I think there's just 12 of us. Um, and again, we're learning a lot of the basics, but I think it's more to kind of apply to our own businesses and making sure that we're on the right path. Um, yeah. They have a wealth of, you know, experience and knowledge and connections um, that we can tap into once we're in that accelerator program. And and if someone knows someone that can help you out, it just definitely accelerates you. Like I, we've, I've learned the importance of networks um, ever since I started the business. It really, really helps to know the right people. Mm. Um, and I think with this accelerator program, it's been great for us to start with the B2B side of things that we're looking yeah. back at the basics of that product market fit. Like, you know, we aren't going to just jump in to start collecting textile waste from businesses, but actually do it the right way. Do it so we're solving their pain points and problems um, and making sure that our solution offering is tailored to businesses. Um, so it's like starting a whole other business within a business in a way, which is, um, yeah, it's quite exciting. And I think Accelerator Program is very helpful. And again, I think my favorite part is having that cohort yeah. of other founders because you're always connecting with each other. You're, you know, oh, I know this person. I can intro you to them, you know. Yeah. Even just hearing their stories as well, like where they, you know, come from, what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and especially when it's female founders, it just, you know, I tend to connect more and, and it feels very, um, it just feels very nice. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, definitely. I think like those people that sharing those experiences and, and the power of, of, of like of the network and getting access to mentors that you, that you wouldn't, have is, is so cool yeah um and i think like even like other like other organizations like i think Startmate had like a fellowship program um for young people in like university so mm -hmm. i think it's like really good we're getting that pipeline starting at a much younger age totally yeah yeah no like 100 percent um i did also want to talk about briefly about the enam loop um so um it's really exciting um that Arj and Ali, I guess, are common friends of ours. And we've seen like the awesome stuff they've done. And they were actually on our podcast as well. Um so just briefly, um, yeah, like how's how's everything been with the Anam Lube and, and Anam and everything like that? Yeah, it's been great. I love everything about Anam and you know, Arj is a very, very close friend of mine and yeah. he helps me out so much with after, you know. I have these dumb questions about finance, about equity, and he never makes me feel dumb about it. He explains yeah. it so well to me. And 
um even just personal you know like investing and things like that like I only got into it very recently um but it's so it can be quite daunting and intimidating sometimes when you're not really familiar with that space and I feel you know things like Anam really makes it more accessible um especially for young people that don't have that finance background like myself mm. um and honestly I wish I had it earlier but yeah um and I'm so excited for the Anam uh loop it's gonna be I think the other you know partners that they have as part of the loop is also you know super exciting that we're all part of it and 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 I think it, again it comes down to that like um you know it's I, you know we're gonna hopefully go for raising you know our next our first round our next our first round next year and mm. it's still very scary because I read these stats on you know how many women of color get funding in this country and it's like you know, how am I going to be different? How am I going to, you know, pass those stats? Because it's so low. Like, what? how am I different? You know, it's it puts me down sometimes when I read those stats. And then it's things like Anam mm. that, you know, it's it's giving me that hope and that confidence. Like, okay, like, we've got the support. You know, there's people out there fighting for people like me. And mm. what more could you want? Yeah, so refreshing to see. And I think, like, that's something we talked about a lot in our podcast with Arjun Ali, that idea of diversity in VC and and the challenges um, that various groups have to funding, which is like so un- so unfortunate. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think like yeah, Arjun Ali are awesome and like a huge shout out to Anam and, and the awesome work they're doing. And um, yeah, looking forward to more exciting things from them. Yeah, really yeah. exciting. Um, I guess on the topic of like VC and things like that, really keen to hear like what your experience has been like in terms of pitching to VCs, investors, because um, I think it's something that a lot of people in the startup space sort of want to understand but don't really have much exposure to. Yeah, I'll be honest, I haven't done much pitching for investment yet um, yep. just because that's going to be happening more next year. Not yep. like I have pitched a bit um, during my master's and in the Giants program we got to the top five um, where we actually got to pitch to investors, which was really exciting um those investors were really really friendly and probably didn't say anything bad on purpose but um I don't I know it's not going to always be like that yeah um but you know the advice that I've gotten with investors is start those relationships really early because pitching will make it easier like it'll be easier to pitch once you've built those relationships early on Mm. um for me and for after, I, I want to bring on investors that are actually very engaged with our problem that we're solving and, you know, with the sustainability space. Yeah. Um, it's more than just providing money. Um, you know, we want them to be, you know, fully engaged in what we're doing. And that's why that relationship's really important. So they can be there for whenever we need them. Um, and when we, you know, it wouldn't even be like a pitch, you know, it would just be, you know, like, Hey, you know, time to raise our round, help us out, you know? And, um, I think that's often forgotten, like building relationships with your Mm. potential investors, at least. No, that's really interesting. And I think like, yeah, I, I haven't really had much experience pitching and, you know, the, the whole VC funding thing is still a long way away if it happens, but yeah. I, think, I think it's just a matter of practice and it seems like you guys have got good practice so far after and like yeah looking forward to 
like I guess maybe hearing a pitch and then hopefully some funding will be coming soon. So that's that's super exciting and definitely yeah. that idea of like of relationship building is 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 so important because like in the end like how big can the space be you're only like one or two connections away i feel so <laughs> um, no yeah super like super super exciting um i want to f- wrap up the last sort of segment about um more broadly speaking about like i guess life as a founder and maybe the challenges you've had and and just tips in terms of of balancing things like that um yeah. so yeah I, th- I think we've talked about this before as well but like it must be quite difficult at times to balance pretty much a full-time role and working on after as a side as this next amazing thing you want to create um like how do you balance both and prioritize effectively yeah i will be honest and say it can get hard sometimes um you you gotta if you're doing something that you love um that's what pushes you through those hard days I think um you know when I have a bad day at work or it's very busy at work and I'm not able to work on after um you know those days are tough but you kind of just need to put yourself first as well like that's a really hard thing to do as a founder um but you know I'm someone I like to go to the gym that's like my time to kind of you know disconnect from screens from people from emails from everything and I try at least, you know, like at least even 30 minutes, you know, at the gym um, yeah. is enough to just keep me away and keep me to, you know, just let me refresh um, my mind. And um, and you just got to find whatever that is for you, um, whatever that may be, even if it's, you know, watching, you know, a mindless show on Netflix, then so be it, right? Like what, whatever that is for yeah. you. Um, I have a lot of founder friends that just watch a lot of trash TV um, because it doesn't require thinking. And I um, I get that. Like, yeah. that's so fair. Um, so, yeah, find something like that for you um, and have a really strong support network of friends and family. Um, I don't have family here. My family's in New Zealand, but I talk to them, you know, all the time mm-hmm. and, I've got great friends here that support me, you know, people like Arj, you know, that are in the space that know what I'm going through. And um, also having founder friends is really, really good. I've found having, you know, other people that are also founders that are also running their businesses that facing similar, you know, problems or have faced before you, um, you're you're kind of in in the same boat and you can relate. And as, as long as you relate with someone, it's just much easier to feel better about things um one thing I've I'm kind of realizing more now is I don't have to go to every event that's going on I think Mm. when I first started you know after I was like oh I need to go to that event I need to go to this event I need to go meet everyone I need to network yes networking is important but I found myself eventually not doing work work because I because I kept going to meetings I kept going to networking events and that that's not that's not why I'm here you know I want to do the work work yeah um, and and so now you know I'm I'm limiting myself like do I have to actually go to this event is it actually you know yeah it will be helpful but mm. I need to prioritize you know what's important yeah. but that that came with time and you eventually realize as you start your journey of like what works for you and what doesn't like you know you can't you can't know it all at the start you're not going to be perfect at the start or ever to be honest mm-hmm. um yeah talk to people have a strong you know support network around you and take breaks mm. take a lot of breaks yeah 
No, 100%. Definitely, like, exercise things so important. Like, even yeah. just going to the gym, you just get, like, a dopamine boost. Yeah. And, um, the support network is amazing as well. And then even, even like, the even like the point you made about not going to events, I think that's something that I've also learned quite a bit in the past year, like, being able to say no and being comfortable with that and mm -hmm. maybe not having to please everyone all the time because you have to prioritize yourself first yeah. and, 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 and cater for what you want to get done. And, like, you know, if you think that what you're doing is making a lot of impact then you should I guess try and aim to put that as a forefront um so yeah. no, it's, it's, I think this is like really good for me as well as like reminders and tips so, yeah. so thanks for I think that. that's okay I think it and that comes ties into the people you surround yourself with if yeah. they understand what you're working on and how important it is to <clears> you they will be there no matter what um so and if you've got people around you that don't understand that then you'll realize really quickly that you know it's just not going to work out. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so I guess, like, the next thing is, like, so you've spent, I guess, a couple of years in the space now uh, in circular economy and sustainability. Um, so what tips would you recommend for, like, students who want to get involved in the space? Like, do you think it's better that they start their own thing or maybe work for a company first and get experience? Or Yeah, I didn't jump straight into starting a business in this space. I did a internship at a sustainable activewear company um i learned a lot and that's also what sparked my interest in sustainable fashion yeah um before that again like you know i didn't know what i wanted to start a business in and i wasn't rushing that um yeah. but also they say you know the hardest thing is to start and once you mm -hmm. start you kind of realize it from there so it, it's a bit of both like you know put yourself out there uh, but don't start if you don't feel comfortable as well. Like you need to be very confident as well to start a business and yeah. you really need to be obsessed with the problem that you're solving. If you are not obsessed with it, then you're not going to go very far. I think you really need, it really needs to make your blood boil. Yeah. If you haven't found that yet. Don't start a business for the sake of it. You know, figure yeah. that out. Like take your time. There's no wrong age or time to start a business as well like just because you're young that doesn't mean it's your prime time to start a business it's also your prime time to you know take risks in your in your jobs and your you know your working life and you know dip your feet in different areas yeah. um, you're not going to know till you put yourself out there yeah 100 percent um yeah like again there's no right age to start a business like you see stuff all the time about people who started a business when they're like in their 40s and they ended up and end up being like super rich like yeah. mega millionaire stuff like that yeah. um yeah and then i think the other point you made that was really interesting was like um you have to be obsessed with the problem and um has to make your blood boil and i think that's really interesting because that's like super important but like again we talk a lot about this glorified like startup culture of hustle and grind and i think like it's so important to make that distinction between when you hustle and grind and when you sort of take time off and not and not like make work the center of everything you do that you're like sleeping two hours a day or something <laughs> yeah, no, and yeah i think that's like a really interesting point because yeah. i guess there is some sort of glorification of that in the startup scene have you noticed mm -hmm. that or yeah, I think that's that like, you know, you're always hustling, you're always busy. And, yep. you know, that's what they say that it is being a, you know, founder. And it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. But I think it takes time. Like, I was that person that 
thought that you know that's why I would go to all these events because yeah. I'm like I have to be doing something I have to be talking to people but then I think it only also you realize it yourself that you know you don't have to I that that's what happened with me at least you know I kind of started prioritizing myself um and things outside of after and it kind of got sparked by this event that I went to and they told us to bring an object about us that's got nothing to do with our business Mm. And I was completely stuck. I was like, really? I had a mind blank. I had no idea what to bring. I'm like, my life is after and that's not good. Mm. I don't want it to revolve around after, you know. Um, yeah. And, it, and it, you re- that's you get a moment like that when you're like, oh, shit. Like, no, that's not what I want. Um, and that's kind of what made me realize, like, no, I want more. So I, I started, you know, playing tennis. I started doing other things and not doing after things 24 seven, even though it's on my mind all the time and that's okay, but I'm not doing things all the time. Um, Yeah. And then do you feel like that's improved, like how you're feeling and and how things are going with after, like in that sense? Definitely. I mean, yeah, not to say I don't have bad days anymore. Of course I do. Mm. Um, But I think I'm better at managing things. I'm better at prioritizing, Um, you know, like, certain tasks that you have on your to-do list you know do you actually need to do it today or is this task important like really being objective on that because I'm the type of person that writes down a to-do list for the day and there's things on there that I don't need to get done that day but then I see this long list and that overwhelms me and then I get stressed and then I get stressed that I'm stressed so it's like yeah Yeah, it's a cycle (laughs) yeah it is it is so you know you don't need to have that long list just Mm -hmm. prioritize it you know if something's due tomorrow then do that first I can definitely resonate with that 100% um okay so we're gonna move into the speed round of questions they're gonna be pretty quick are you are you ready Yesha yep what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Oh, um, I think your life is a lot bigger than, you know, the problems that you're having. You know, trust the process and it's going to work out. Don't worry. The idea of perspective, I guess. Yes, that's a better yeah. way to put it. Yeah. Cool. Um, what are two exciting trends in the circular economy space? So recently, a company in the UK called Self ridges um basically are aiming for the or half of their transactions to be resale repair rental and refills by 2030 so that's a shift towards true circular economy and for that to come from a big retailer um it's, it's amazing i hope it actually mm-hmm. works out but yeah and then the second thing is, is i found a more um shift towards vintage and op shopping which is really exciting yeah so good to hear hopefully more people are heading to vinnie's and yes um okay this is a very interesting one if there was one person in sustainability you could have dinner with like who would that be who gives a crap founder simon griffiths oh yeah um i love everything about who gives a crap and what he's done um i really look up to the business because you know they're a business but they're also doing such good um and i I think there's so much to learn from them so yeah and last question so how can people like get more involved and follow what's happening with after Sure. So we've got an Instagram. Uh, it's after underscore au, I believe. I'm not very good at Instagram stuff, but yeah. But you can yeah. visit our website, uh, after.net.au. Um, yep. You can visit our Facebook and our Instagram from there. Yep. Join on our mailing list. Um, we normally update, you know, when we're having our next collections or things about our recycling processes and things like that. So, yeah, or reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
Awesome. Well, there you go, guys. A lot of ways to learn more about Arthur and also to contact Yasha. And so, and to hear more about her journey and hopefully some funding. Super yes, exciting. <laughs> That's a wrap, Yasha. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I think like we had a lot of open discussion and um, learning about your journey, like Auckland and, and even from your master's and, and how Arthur came about and how it's such a big problem and the whole idea of transparency in the space. And um, I think like, yeah, like the circular economy space, like it definitely has the potential to reduce a lot of emissions. So um, that's super exciting. Um, yeah, and appreciate all those fun tips about clothing and washing. I'll, <laughs> I'll keep in mind the one about fabrics, I think. So yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's been a pleasure, Yasha. And of course, the Greenfluence, we're always here to support your journey um, as well. So super exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. What'd you think? Yesha was so inspiring and insightful in her beginning and thoughts on paying attention to the transparency and greenwashing in the fashion space, as well as the importance of knowing where your clothes are coming from and where they end up. If you're new to Greenfluence, thanks for joining us, and hopefully you feel inspired to listen to our previous and future episodes. If you're a regular listener, Thank you for listening in again. We really appreciate it and are so excited to grow our Greenfluence community. If you'd like to get in touch and become a Greenfluencer, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. All the links to our socials are in the show notes. We'd appreciate if you leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And we'll see you next time.